0: Time once again for the Dragon Cricket Podcast. Broadcasting from the Dragon's Lair, from the fiery bowels of our heritage grandstand at Maribyrnong Reserve, on the banks of the Saltwater River in Melbourne's Inner West. On behalf of the 93 years young, still legendary, still here, local cricket institution, Barclay Street United Cricket Club. It's time for the Purple Dragon to arise. The quest for local cricket gold. It's time to feel the fire. It's time for the Dragon Cricket Podcast.
1: Bonus episode, special interview edition.
0: the Dragon back. Uh, so welcome back, everyone. This is a bit of a bonus episode uh, for us, um, something a little bit different. Marcus had a chance to catch up with uh, Hawthorne Premiership player from 1991, Stephen Lawrence, a couple of months back at the, uh, the AFL Grand Final Breakfast at and
1: Baptist Church. Yeah, I work there. And so it's yep. in a church context, this interview. Yep. And uh, yeah, we just thought it'd be good to actually just, instead of cutting them all up and doing little highlights and snippets, just to let someone talk... For a while about sport and about male identity, that sort of stuff. Um, so this will go for about twenty minutes. So he's a religious sort of guy, Stephen Lawrence. Uh, yep. Played for Hawthorne in the nineties and Premiership player. And uh, yeah, so the context of a grand final breakfast and mm. um, that morning and all the expectation and people wearing their scarves and got a vibe of real energy about uh, you know public holiday in Melbourne now. So uh, yeah, yeah, and you know historic connection with cricket, obviously Tom Wills and. You know, wrote the rules to footy, and he was our best cricketer in the eighteen sixties. And and Steve Lawrence too has a really good connection with the, with with footy and cricketers. We'll hear. So. Absolutely,
0: let's give him a chance to tell that story, and we'll come back uh, at the end and say see what we learn. That's right. <laughs> cool. <laughs>
1: Excellent. So uh, it's Marcus Kerner here, The Real Rev. I'm at the Essendon Baptist Church Grand Final Breakfast. We're at my real job today. We're at Chris Lacey's interviewing Merv Hughes uh, last week. Uh, I'm here with Stephen Lawrence, uh, 1991 Premiership player for uh, the Hawthorne Footy Club. G'day, Steve. Uh, how are you
2: going? Thanks for uh, yeah being part of the Dragon Cricket Podcast today. Pleasure. Crick- Cricket's always been one of my passions, so happy to talk about cricket any time, <laughs> even though footy was... What I well that's play.
1: obviously uh, you're part of a golden era of uh, Hawthorne football and uh, premiership player we're here on grand final morning there's a lot we could ask about footy but uh, we're all about the cricket and saving Australian cricket from the grassroots up really so we want to know about your sporting highlights okay. uh, really in cricket what, what, what's
2: what's okay. your favorite what's cricket mean to you well cricket is really important because of my dad principally, yeah. who played test cricket for South Africa. Yeah, Godfrey uh, Godfrey Lawrence. Goofy. Goofy was his nickname. Yeah, it's yeah, hard yeah. to give a nickname to Godfrey, otherwise you're calling him God or something like that. Now, you're the big ruckman. He was pretty tall as well. <laughs> he was. He was six foot five, a fast bowler. Um, played, I think, 16 years first class cricket for Rhodesia. Yep. He calls it Rhodesia, it's Zimbabwe now. Yeah. Uh, and then at the end of his career, got married to my mum and moved to South Africa, so he became eligible to play for the Springboks, which he did, just the one season before having a a back operation and that really finished his cricket career, but in that he got 28 wickets against New Zealand and held a record for a long time for most wickets in a test series uh, for South Africa, I think until Alan Donald in the 90s, something like that, Um, and he got 8 for 53 in one test and... uh, he was a very good fast bowler. So, yeah, so I grew up with cricket in my veins and in my bones. Yeah. Uh, so do you have a trundle yourself? Uh, you're a tall ruckman on the footy. Uh, did you pick up any of your well, dad's oomph? I did. I, um, well, I, I only started playing footy when I was 11. Uh, okay. I'd been playing cricket, though, since I was about five or six, yeah. as well as hockey in, in winter. Um, yeah. And cricket was my number one passion. We came to Australia from South Africa when I was four and a half. Yep. Uh, So I grew up here and wanted to play cricket for Australia. Yep. As As you you do. I I was basically a fast bowler, big in-swinging fast bowler. My action sort of meant I was an in-swinger. And a big hitting middle order batsman. As you do. It was my, you know. Uh,
1: Park cricket specialty. Who would you play for?
2: I played for uh, my school. Well, I played for different places. Uh, Mainly Mount Gravatt. Mount Gravatt in Brisbane. Oh, yeah, great. And also Clairvaux College, which was my, my school. So. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Ah, nice. And tell us, what's it like,
1: uh, f- Yeah, for a lot of us, what's it like growing up the son of a Test cricketer?
2: Yeah, it was, it was a unusual. Uh, for me, it just seemed how it was, you know. Yeah. Um, I suppose it was, people did know a little bit. that. I mean, he knew, he played Test cricket and he, he was, um, he won the Sportsman of the Year for Rhodesia. So he mm. was a very decorated cricketer. Uh, and sportsman, um, but probably not really well-known in Australia. So it was not the same as if I was the son of, you know... Greg Chapel or someone like that. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, you know, he, did, he he was very involved in the cricket, in junior cricket that I was with well, my three brothers and I were involved in. Yeah. In fact, I had I had dinner last night with one of my old school friends from 30 years ago, and uh, he had incredible memories of my dad coaching not only me but all of the the kids in our in our area. And Dad really invested a lot of time and pres- and energy and presence to cricket at our school, and he more or less brought it from being a pretty low level to a very quality, um, pretty high quality level. So um, he built a real community around cricket, which mm, I think yeah, is... fantastic. A, I think my experience of cricket, a lot of people who are my friends, came to love the fact that we had all these great relationships. We were growing in excellence from the point of view of cricket as yes. a sport, which I think is an important part of sport. But also... There was something about, you know, built the, the camaraderie and he always treated yeah. people well and I think they felt they had a home sort of thing. So I think these this is another really important dimension of why we'd be involved in sporting club. So it, my dad was very much part of building that in, in and it's always been part of my sense of what sport is, whether yeah. it's footy, cricket, hockey, whatever sport I played, to, to think that sport is not just about achievement but it's about the human dimensions of it.
1: Fantastic. So we're about sort of rebuilding the uh, broken culture of Australian cricket. We reckon from the grassroots up, starting local. Uh, and a lot of that's about male, male identity and um, yeah. our fathers and relationships and yeah. some of the things that happen in local sport. Yeah. Tell us a story about your dad.
2: Yeah, my dad, he had three fathers. Three fathers. Yeah. Uh, fill us in. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, his, his own biological father left his mum when he was only a little baby. So he was never in my dad's life, and so they were divorced, and he, he was out of the picture completely. Uh, a few years later, my, my dad's mum remarried, uh, the person who became my dad's stepfather, who was very cold and distant, and my dad never really felt warmth or, or approval from this, mm. from this man who um, re- really retreated once my dad's mum got very sick and died when my, my dad was 13. Mm. So he was effectively an orphan at 13, Mm. Uh, had His stepfather was not really around mm. uh, occasionally, but no real presence. In fact, it was uh, my dad's mum's dying wish to send him to a Jesuit boarding school mm. in Rhodesia or Zimbabwe, which he did do, but as a 13-year-old, he'd missed a couple of years of... He'd missed a lot of schooling. His confidence was really low. He came into a school where he didn't know anybody, so there was all of that. As a teenager, it's really hard. Um, and so his life was in free fall mm. pretty much at that time. Mm. Into his life stepped at that moment a Jesuit priest who was okay. one of the one of the priests who ran the school who effectively informally adopted him. Yeah, yeah. And started to spend a lot of time with him, give him a lot of presents. I mean he did that for a lot of students, I think, but my dad felt that this man loved him, yeah. you know, approved of him, encouraged him, something he hadn't had any of. Um, gave him a lot of warmth and also spent time just yeah. simply time and a lot of that was through play, teaching him how to play cricket yes and he saw that my dad who was very tall and skinny and gangly also had a bit of ability so little by little he taught him how to play cricket and lo and behold after a period of time he became very good at it ended up playing test cricket yeah. uh, so in fact my dad I'd say that the great marks of my dad's life are cricket yep. and also faith wow. christian faith grew up as a Catholic and it was very important for him uh, and also the values that come with, um, you know, that he taught him. So, for example, I hear stories about my dad saying that Father Landreth, that was his name, this priest, Father Landreth said, look, you know, when you go on tour in a cricket game or after games, there's a lot of, you know, partying type of thing, you don't need to get drunk. You don't yeah. need to booze up to be one of the guys. You can yeah. be one of the guys. Don't be standing above anybody. Be there. Be present. Be there. But you can have a juice or, a, or a, maybe one drink, but that, you know, leave it at that. And yeah. so for me, as a, when I played for that was influential. I, I, I thought, well, you can do that. I don't have to go yeah. and get drunk. Yeah. I, can, you know, I can be one of the guys. We can go out and celebrate after a game or whatever, or we're on a tour or playing yeah. uh, you know, in an in a overseas match or whatever, which we did sometimes, um, yeah, yeah. exhibition games. You, know, you don't need to get drunk. Uh, or there's a whole lot of other things you don't need to do. You just be true to yourself. Yep. Don't stand above anybody, but be true to yourself. Yep. And that was an important lesson I learned.
1: Fantastic. So we should talk a bit about footy, not just okay. about cricket, because I'm talking to Stephen Lawrence and Hawthorne supporters will kill me. Uh, <laughs> so 1991 uh, grand final. Yep. Uh, again, great era for Hawthorne. Uh, you're coming in as a younger player. Uh, some say you were pipped for the Norm Smith in that one by uh, the other big fella, uh, Paul Dear. Yep. Uh You went into that game. It's memorable for being the one at Waverley. Correct. Uh, the question we always get asked about the Waverley Grand Final is Angry Anderson and the Batmobile.
2: Yes.
1: Uh, one of those memorable uh, Grand Final performances, topped only by Meatloaf, some would well, suggest. Well,
2: not at all memorable for us as players because no. we, we, we never saw the Batmobile. We were under the ground at half time and never saw any of that. So you were
1: at the 91 Grand Final just pit for the Northsmith and didn't witness Bound for Glory yeah, in the it, Batmobile. It.
2: And it's true a lot of people do say that I um, <laughs> you know was one of the probably one of the best three on the ground. Um, Paul Deere won the medal. Yeah. And he had a great game. Kicked six goals and really cut him up and yeah, I think he deserved did. the medal to be honest. But I did have a great game. I had 21 stats and 10 marks and lots of good hit outs and you know, I'm, I'm touched when people say you should have won the medal, which a lot of people do say that to me, but it doesn't really. I did get player of the final series, so that was... Uh, and Jamie Morrissey was the, the other one who had a fantastic game. That
1: day. So ignoring uh, <laughs> uh, ignoring Angry Anderson's uh, song, you know, the performance, so let's go with the content, Bound for Glory. Bound for glory We're yeah. thinking about success. Okay. You're an AFL Premiership player. Yeah. For many, that is... The ultimate, Uh, but you also have a theology degree. I don't speak to a few sportsmen. I don't speak to many with a theology degree. That's something I have in common here. Uh Yeah. So, what's the bound for glue? I don't know. How does spirituality Mm. and success sort of go together for you?
2: Well, it's true. From I mean, I have incredible gratitude for the fact that I was able to play in that premiership in ninety one, and I did come out to Hawthorne at the end of that eighties. Glory era, uh, mm. and was fortunate to, to still like for some of those great guys to still be around so that I was able to play in a yes. premiership. We dipped after that to be honest for a few years yep. uh, but it 's true played in a premiership and that 's always going to be the case yep. but it 's not my greatest achievement I, I mentioned I was giving a talk now before I mentioned that my probably my greatest achievement, and of course, like all achievements it 's not only a human achievement but it 's always a gift from God you know yeah uh, and that is my marriage and my family yeah, um, I have six children, beautiful wife and uh, we've been married 25 years and that's not necessarily a, a given given my background because I had a yeah. very very painful teenage years with my parents separation that went on There was a lot of conflict in my home for about six years and yep. in the midst of all that was really where I actually had a real personal encounter with Jesus okay uh, and in a deep way and uh, and and realized that you know in fact it was through the wounds that I experienced that he kind of entered and uh and even though I was afraid of getting married, for obvious yeah. reasons, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my, the love of my wife Annie and um, lots of other graces through sacraments, through prayer of other people, through lots of things, really brought a lot of healing over the years. And uh, in fact, it's become a source of grace, yeah. our marriage, for other peoples, mm. uh, for other couples. We do a lot of work with married couples and uh, with mm. families. And uh, in fact, in the next few months, we're going to be doing a couple, running a couple of family retreats and things like that. So... I think the point I'm sharing about that is that often we have these incredibly difficult moments in our life which are suffering and and, and hard, and uh, we think, oh, look, sometimes we think that's that's why we shouldn't believe in God. Yeah. But in fact, and God, of course, never wants us to go through that. He doesn't like us. He doesn't take any pleasure in that, but he knows he can bring something greater out of it through that. I think it's good to try and see our history of our life from that kind of lens. And so if we can allow that to take place... Even those disasters in our life can become actual sources of grace for others. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to eternal life, but I mean, a living life of grace in this in this world is 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 a step there. Okay. So I mean, uh,
1: local cricket supports lots of young boys trying to become men, initiation, all that stuff, to middle-aged blokes who might have had success in life, a bit like yourself, but might have had struggles or not have had that success as well. I've had both.
2: I've had both. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think. I think Edward Thoreau uses a... He says that the uh, most men live lives of quiet desperation. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a harrowing statement. In fact, not untrue, I don't think. Mm. And I think... I know one of the great quotes of um, Pope John Paul II, who's one of my heroes... Yeah, OK. Uh, ...for young men. He says that... And he's talking here about men and women being different. He said every young girl needs to know, especially from her father, that she's beautiful. Yeah. And every young man needs to know that he can do it. Yeah. He's got what it takes. And I think that has to be at somehow at the heart of the message that older men or, and women mm. communicate to young young people. Even, and I think this is one of the great points of uh, incredible... Um, what's the word? Um, insecurity that young men feel is that they don't have what it takes. And that's where we get all the bravado because it's all on the external but deep down, they don't really think that they can do it. Yeah, and I yeah. think we need to help them realize we know that you feel like that, but you actually can do it. Uh, but you need, other, you, you need to know you're a son of God, and you need okay. to know you have brothers. You mm. can't be alone. Isolation yeah. is a killer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And you need to also know that you have a, a role to, to shape the lives of others. You need to become a father for others in time. So a son, a brother, and a father is actually at the heart of who we are as men. And if we can really discover that, then our lives will be satisfying for us and also incredibly blessed for other people.
1: Fantastic. Well, there's some really positive messages there about positive masculinity. We hear a lot of negative stories and a lot of horrible things in the news, and the Australian cricket team's been struggling with some of its own identity and culture. Yeah, and yeah. Um, that's partly, yeah, some of the positive messages we're trying to give well, to other blokes. So thanks for that. Can I just say something about yeah, that? Yeah, because, for because, sure. Um,
2: one of the works that I do now is work in the area of leadership, and yeah. leadership principally as an exercise of character. Yes. Not so much about roles and responsibilities, although those are important. But most leadership happens on a very informal, very day-to-day, ordinary level uh, in in terms of the sense of how we influence other people, shape the culture around us. And it's interesting when we look at the fact that most significant failures of leadership are usually failures of character. Mm. They're not usually technical failures. And you use the Australian cricket team as an example. Mm. I mean, both Steve Smith and Dave Warner are... uh, ...among the best players who've ever played the game. Yes. And certainly as cricketers and as batsmen... ...and you could even argue as captain or vice-captain. But to actually choose to go down the track that they did... ...which seems to have been instigated by Warner... ...as far as I can tell... ...and and acknowledged or allowed by Smith... ...either way, even though he Mm. was the captain, he's responsible... You know, to do that is, is where the failure of... Lead, it, wasn't, it had nothing to do with cricket ability or strategy. It's about character. Mm. And, and, look, we've seen it more, almost engulf Australian cricket. Mm. And yeah. it's a failure of character. So that when we talk about leadership, we need to focus on character. Mm. We need to focus on development of character and virtue and how do we actually shape the environment in such a way that everybody can be their best, yeah. not just in terms of outcomes or achievements, but also as human beings. And that's what's going to make the place... Uh, more successful in a whole range of points of view. So I think we need to really focus on excellence of of outcomes with the specific, whatever environment we're in, whether it's cricket or it's work or family, mm. um, but also about character development. And it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're not going to be. But we've got to keep working on it, helping each other you know, move forward together. And mm. we can't do that alone. And I think it's essential factor. I, I was listening. To, I went to a breakfast where the new coach of the Australian cricket team... Um, Was speaking. Oh yeah, Justin Langer. Justin Langer. He was outstanding. Yeah, yeah. And I know positive guy. Very positive guy. And he he was very clear on a whole range of points. Uh, I mean, he's got a battle on his hands, but I think um, he will. I think he will be good. uh, Certainly from the point of view of character.
1: Certainly made the most of his own ability and uh, and worked really hard to achieve what he did. Yeah. And yeah, it's had a a good positive effect on uh, lots of young players at WA in particular coming into this role.
2: But we've got a long way to go. To, it takes a long time to restore trust. Yeah. And it's interesting. Australian people love, love being victorious in cricket. Yeah. It's almost like our national identity is tied up with the identity of the Australian cricket team. So much. And, you so know, much. they say the whole thing, you know, the second most powerful person in Australia is after the Prime Minister is the Australian cricket captain. And you So know, right and so wrong all at once. <laughs> it is. And, and, but it's interesting. Even despite that, Australians don't approve of the cheating. Yeah. And so we, we want to win. We say almost at all costs, but in fact not at all costs. Yes. What we want is we want to be fair, yeah. tough, yeah. hard, you know, on the edge, but fair. Yeah. And uh, but we also want to have integrity. We also want to be, you know, held to be held to be people of quality of character. And I think our reputation at the moment has got a lot of work to, to uh, There's a lot of work to be building that back up. Yeah. Uh,
1: two questions. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned today at the breakfast uh, you didn't play in the 1989 grand final. No, you're I didn't. a young man. Yeah. Yeah, someone else got selected as second yeah. Ruckman just
2: ahead of you. Was it McGuinness? Uh, uh, um, oh, <laughs> Scotty McGuinness played in the back line on, on Ablett. He <laughs> oh, had nine sorry. goals kicked on him. No, it was um, Greg Madigan. <laughs> oh, Madigan, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. Uh, Who, both of us, whoever was going to be in, was going to play his fifth match, AFL match. Yeah, okay. So now he got in, and Alan Jeans had said to us, look, we need a second Ruckman. Like, this isn't the lead-up to the... And yeah. I hadn't had a good season that season. I was lucky to play the two games that I did. Right. I'd lost a bit of focus. Previous season, I'd had a... I was out for most of the season with yeah. a couple of injuries. Madigan deserved to be picked, and he did well. And yes. yeah, so I don't begrudge that in any way. But it was a lost opportunity for me. The famous grand final. Look, it was legendary, and it may never have come again. Unfortunately for me... So how did you get
1: back to play in 91?
2: Well, after 89, and I realised, you know, I could have played in that... You know, one of the great victories of Hawthorne's yep. history. In fact, one of the great grand finals of all time. Yep. Uh, I thought, well, and I just finished my arts degree. I just majored in humanities. Uh, I d- I've done a lot of studies over the years, and theology being one. Yep. Um, I thought to myself, right, I'm not going to study this year. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to put everything aside and focus on footy and really give it a, a good crack, because otherwise I might be turfed out. <laughs> so I s- sort of worked a lot on my strength and my speed and my fitness and uh, found that I actually um, had a really good season. I played every game in the seniors except, mm. except the one. So became a regular player that year. Mm. Uh, and then the following year was 91. Uh, and Greg Deer, it, it, to my advantage, actually injured his knee and was out for the season. And I was essentially coming in from second ruck to becoming the number one ruckman. And it just so happened I had a, a great season. We, we won the premiership at the end of the year and you mm. know, I, had, I was player of the final. So opportunities emerge. Sometimes you you just got to be in the right place at the right time and take the opportunity and be ready for the opportunity. Yeah. Cause I think, and you don't know when it's going to happen. So readiness requires a lot of unknown. Yes. But it's just about working hard and, and making the most of it. Speaking of unknowns, uh, last question. uh, Prediction, we're just hours
1: away from the uh, grand final, Uh, Collingwood and West Coast. uh, By the time this goes to air, uh, the result will be out. (laughs) Now, my co-host just predicted that Peter Siddle was going to get selected in the Australian team last episode and came off out of the blue. So uh, we're
2: on a prediction roll here. Who are you backing for today's game? Who I'm backing to win is West Coast. Yep. Relatively comfortably. I don't think it'll be an easy game, but I think they'll win. I'm tipping by 25 points. Okay. I think... Um, and what are the key
1: factors there? Huh?
2: Key factors are the fact that West Coast lost three years ago. Yep. And that will burn. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Collingwood has come out of nowhere, really. I mean, they've had a bit of a journey. I think... And I'd love to see them win, to be honest, for Buckley. I love Nathan Buckley. I think he's been amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think are too strong, too, too balanced right across the board. And I think that the major strength as opposed to the major weakness, is going to be the difference. And that is uh, centre-half forward for West Coast mm. is um, Josh Kennedy. Yeah. And um, Tyson Goldsack, he's, he's, he's a bit underdone. You know, look, it's, I'm loving him. I'm loving to see him come up. But he's actually been a bit of a weakness, and they've got through despite his not performing at a high yep. level. And I think Kennedy will be just... He probably What about the big goals. American,
1: Coxie? Can he do it again?
2: Look, I'd, I'd like to see him do it again. I think they, will, I think they have a better, taller um, backline, the West Coast, to, to block him. But if he can do that, then they could win. Mm. If, it would be amazing. I mean, it would be the story <laughs> from wherever. But um, It would. I, I don't think it will happen again. I, I, I don't.
1: Tipping West Coast today.
2: West Coast 25. Awesome.
1: Stephen, thanks for coming and speaking today. Some amazing stories yeah. about character and, yeah, just being a healthy bloke and uh, what sport means to you. Sure, uh, sure. So
2: thanks. Pleasure. Cheers. Good on you.
0: Great conversation, Marcus. Well done, mate, um, in the way you directed that chat because it kind of went to some really interesting places. Yeah, so it did. <laughs> it yeah. did, not it? He's what a
1: fascinating f- guy. Fascinating guy. Yeah. yeah. On a grand final breakfast and just lots of stories about grand finals and that Hawthorne team of that era, which yeah. was pretty awesome, really. Yeah.
0: And his dad... Playing for well Rhodesia back then, but Zimbabwe and South Africa, and yep. yeah, amazing story. Almost went down the cricket path, Stephen Lawrence, yeah,
1: as well, but uh, ended up as a footballer.
0: But yeah. some interesting stuff around his own sort of identity. He kind of took it down that the male identity yeah, stuff. It funny because
1: yeah. I was the pastor, and I sort of went with a theology degree, and then he got really religious on me. let go rev. It's trying to yeah rev you, yeah, he <laughs> was trying to bring it back to the sport. Um, but uh, no, it was really interesting, and I thought. He spoke really well. He speaks quite regularly about those sort of things. Mm. He talked about his great success being his marriage and family beyond mm. the premiership. And I think he told a story that day at the breakfast about his dad obviously didn't have a dad and pretty traumatized and even as a teenager his parents broke up and <clears throat> so his dad was quite religious and successful cricketer, but his marriage fell apart. Mm. He talked about going into the the Family house and his dad was literally carving up the marriage bed with a chainsaw or something oh, like. Sounds goodness. like a really toxic yeah. environment to grow. Wow. So some of these sort of themes for him are really powerful yes. and personal. Well, like, yeah, and, and that really comes across. And you know, sport yeah. was important for him yeah. in terms of getting out of that sort of thing. And you can see he's got some really strong ideas about values and virtue and yes. And he's faced part of that as well, which he spoke yeah. fair, fair bit about. Um, and the
0: way you um, view sport too, I think through that lens too, pretty strongly, just what he was saying towards the end there about the Australian cricket team and culture and stuff. And so, yeah, it's interesting line there. He's saying he wants to play hard and fair and all those kinds of words. Um, yeah. Again, which is not dissimilar to to sort of a Michael Clark that we're talking about the last episode potentially,
1: but, yeah. Well, you've got to be strong. He's playing in the toughest, you know, Dipper and Doobie and, you know, the toughest Hawthorne team. I mean, in terms of leadership and character, his classic story, and, I mean, it's gone all around Australia now. Yes. Often by actually that generation of Hawthorne players. Mm, Tell them Um, the story, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this classic time and he told it on the the day, yeah, yeah, where they're on a team training camp to Phillip Island or something and the bus driver turns on a porno as they're all heading down in the bus. And he's the young bloke, 22 or something, and he literally sitting at the back because he's the ruckman, so he's got his legs extended at the back of the bus to get leg room. And everyone's uh," talking about how he couldn't look away and how he needed to do something. And he actually walks the length of the bus. And think of some of the characters yeah. in that Hawthorne team at that time. Yeah. You know. So he's walking past he said, Dermy. he's walking past All those, us, you know, Dunstall, past, all those big, strong characters, some great footballers, the toughest yeah. blokes, yeah. talking about male identity. Yeah, yeah. And he said, as he walked down, all the, all the voices went, oh, hang on. And because he knew he was a religious guy, yeah. and, and went, oh, and he went, he got it shut off by the bus driver. Mm. And he said, you know, he walked all the way back <laughs> <in> the bus. <laughs> But um, it wasn't until 20 years later that I think it was Andy Collins or some of those yeah. other Hawthorne blokes actually used it when they were coaching other teams to yeah, talk about the right. gutsiest, what leadership is and what character is. Yeah, And, you know, no one ever talked about it ever at the team it was until 20 years later. And now that story's gone viral all yeah, over yeah. Australia. He uses it as he's speaking as yeah. a real demonstration of often leadership and character and identities really found in the ordinary those little moments yep. uh, that They're you can't defined. really predict, or mm. yeah, so these footballers talking about is the gutsiest demonstration of leadership that they ever witnessed. Yeah, it's so not part deep, of that. not dipper playing with a well, with you know, of luck. there's all that yeah, legendary '89 yeah, yeah. yeah. grand final, and that was yeah. all part of that interview, which is great. Yeah. It was so cool talking about the footy and all that. But, um, yeah, the, the other one I thought was interesting was his, like, Pope John Paul as his sort of hero for male identity. I know we've got our little uh, male identity cricket team yeah. sort of selections going there. Interesting did, nomination. Did, would, <laughs> you're a bit of a Catholic, Chris. Uh, you're just a bit of a one. Yeah. Still, you know. I hang out
0: with Baptists a bit, but, yeah, I'm still Catholic. Yeah, yep. yeah, yep.
1: christened and all that. What, yep. do you, what do you reckon? Does... Uh, does John Paul
0: get it in? Uh... He probably doesn't get into my team. <laughs> okay. um, I've got to, I've got to say. But look, I'm happy to have that discussion more down the track. And uh, but, uh, I, yeah, I think, uh, I think both John Paul probably took the, the Catholic Church backwards a little bit in a whole bunch of uh, of those kinds of issues. And it was and interesting. But, He'd
1: really yeah. draw strongly, obviously, on his the faith sort of stuff. And that was important.
0: I respect the people who respect. Um, Pope John Paul II, but, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of particularly social issues I think he
1: probably took a backward step on rather yeah, than Yeah, well, steps. it's interesting, you know, his father-son-brother was his sort of idea of yep. picking up with the Pope, Yep. you know, around male stuff. I didn't know about the daughter stuff, you know, the most important thing a father can call the daughter beautiful. I'm yeah, thinking I, no. I'm an under eleventh coach because of my daughter <laughs> and uh, I don't know about beautiful. I wouldn't mind a beautiful cover drive. That's the <laughs> probably most important thing. <laughs> <I think. laughs> yeah. Uh, that's why, why I'm an under eleventh coach, but... Uh, yeah, anyway, that was an interesting one yeah, yeah. and how he framed his spirituality, I suppose, mm. in terms of success and what's got him through some of what was obviously a pretty traumatic sort of childhood. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, it was great to talk to him and, uh, yeah, look, he got West Coast right. He, he, uh, he did. Not by 25, but uh, they... they they got over Probably the, some over of those fundamentals way. he talked about were, were there. So, yeah. um, no, well, was great, good. great interview,
0: mate. Great um, chance to have that conversation. And um, look, let us know what you think about this format, and whether you want to hear some more interviews um, in this kind of way going forward. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, catch you next time at the Dragon Cricket Podcast.
1: Listening to the Dragon Cricket Podcast, broadcast from the Barclay Street United Cricket Club of Melbourne's Inner West. Brought to you by Cricket Journeyman, who, in a time of Australian cricket crisis, undertook a quest to rediscover the true spirit of Australian suburban park cricket. Arise, you Purple Dragons! Feel the fire. Enter. You may reply.